On this week's episode, we get down to business with Mulan. Is this movie as Chinese as Panda Express? Who holds the record for most kills in a movie, Mulan or that mountain? And is this a musical or is this a war movie? Find out now, you're listening to 24 Flames Per Second. Episode of 24 Flames Per Second, a podcast that roasts the films we love the most. And as always, I'm your host, Robert Spiewak. Everybody, welcome to the show this week to uh, to celebrate yet another Disney live action and a remake coming out adaptation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we are uh, going back going back to good old 1998 to uh, look at a, a movie that came out that year, Mulan, everybody. And so uh, we're headed over to mainland China. And uh, you're going to see the um, Forbidden uh, City, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Forbidden, Forbidden City. Forbidden City. We're going to see this Forbidden City. Uh, we're going to see inside the building because uh, we see the emperor in there. Anyways, um, but yeah, everybody, welcome to uh, the show this week. And um, and so, yeah, there's not a ton of, uh, of, of preface here. There's no, there's nothing extra good coming up on the Patreon this week necessarily. Um, but uh, that being said, everybody, if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com. Slash Toy for Flames Pond and get a bunch of good stuff over there. And, uh, um, yeah, we're, we're just, we're here. We're ready to talk about Mulan. So I think we're, uh, we're just going to jump right on into it. And uh, so, yeah, hey, across the table from me this week, the Mulan to my ping, Katie yeah. Bennett. Hello. Hi. We're like two sides, the same coin. There you go. Uh, <laughs> how's it going? Um, it's great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And I have two fun facts to share. Did you watch the movie this week? Oh, right. I forgot the order of things. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I've seen the movie a billion times, so I didn't have time to rewatch One it this week. One billion times. times. Um, so, yeah. Okay. But well, what are the two I things you facts. do know? Okay, the first thing I know is that um, the film is actually credited with launching the music career of Christina Aguilera because her mm. version of uh, Reflection was the, her first song to be released in the U.S., and it actually led to her landing a recording contract with RCA Records. So that was interesting. That is surprising to me. I know, me too. I kind of thought she was already famous, but and I Disney guess And Disney was not. like, let's have you do this song. I wonder if it just came out like concurrently, and so we didn't Maybe. notice. Maybe. This time. was the first thing. What did, where else did her music get released? I did not fact before? check this. This was on IMDb. But. <laughs> well, as we all know. There we go. Everyone. Anyone. Um, but my most favorite fact is that uh, Mulan has the highest body count of a Disney character, oh. heroine or villain, <laughs> yeah. coming in at a whopping final body count of 3,994 if you include all the horses uh, that were also... How do you get this count? So... How did someone tally it to the, 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 the one? The production team had drawn 2,000 Hun soldiers oh. during the Hun's attack sequence, along with 2,000 more horses. Only six Huns survived, to the, survived the avalanche, and only one of them is killed later. This makes her final body count, Boom. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What about uh, where where does the fault lie with um, Scar ruining the Pride Lands? Mm. Because I feel like a lot of animals probably died from that. It's true. Maybe not quantifiable. Maybe, maybe, uh, fair. Okay. So confirmed body count. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, that's pretty gnarly. She's got a higher body count than wow. like Freddy Krueger. So yeah, by by magnitude. By a lot. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, those are two pretty substantial chewy things. Um, <laughs> thanks for bringing them. Yep. Uh, yeah. I don't think um, I can't think of anything else I want to ask about maybe. But anyways, good to have you here. Um, and let's uh, let's just get on let's get on into the panels. We're not gonna waste any time this week. Um, we're gonna get right down to business. And so, uh, <laughs> starting with the roasters, as always, uh, producer of Seattle's The Moth and a storyteller herself. Find her on Twitter at Casey Rom. Casey Rom. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. Um, I hadn't seen this movie since like late childhood, so I'm mm. pretty excited to revisit it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's good to have you here. Thank yeah. you. It was uh. It's a, good, it's a good panel this week. And so next to her expert on Godzilla and teacher of the children, uh, Ian Coleman. Hello, hello. Hello, how's it going? Pretty good, yeah. I'm excited to uh, talk about this movie. I remember the day uh, when I was a kid. I was seven or eight years old. I remember seeing it in the theater. Yeah. Uh, it was by Vancouver Mall. Uh, that theater doesn't exist anymore. Actually. Yeah. Um, but I remember the, the moment I saw it in the theater, and I've only watched it a couple times since. So yeah. it, was, it was nice to revisit it. Was it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, no. I, I hate this movie. <laughs> Ugh, garbage. Burn it alive. I love this substantial criticism. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Anyways, good, good to have you here. Uh, and on the defense this week, filmmaker and political activist. You can find him on Twitter at True Cody Olson. The True Cody Olson. <clears throat> Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going good. Going good. I'm yeah. excited to talk about this film. Oh, it should be good. We got we got some Disney fans in the room, so yeah, we I think it'll be. Uh, I'm looking forward to a well fought uh, mountaintop battle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, nobody brought any fireworks. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I brought the heat. We, <laughs> okay. we have we have pen swords. And yeah, that's it. we do. Yes, it's true. Um, okay, well, Cody, you know how this goes. First mm-hmm. things first, do a movie in a minute. Okay. Uh, give us the full plot synopsis of Mulan. Spoilers and all. I'll give you a uh, 60 seconds and a three count. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Those aren't going to help me. <laughs> they, they never do. Doesn't matter. All right. Um, okay, so uh, here we go. In three, two, one, go. All right, let's see. The Huns are uh, invading China, and we see that as sort of a through a prologue that they have this terrifying leader. Um, I'm sorry, Ian Coleman messed me up a little bit at the start, and I'm really trying to recover. Okay. Uh, I'm really trying not to. So, uh, anyway, so we cut to um, so. <laughs> God dang it. The emperor says, hey, uh, we need to conscript one member of each family to fight. Um, So we go to Mulan's family where her father is being conscripted. Um, She sees him kind of training and falls over and realizes that he's he's pretty old and frail. And so she steals his armor and weapons uh, and goes to join the army in his stead, posing as a man. And she kind of struggles to get the hang of things at first. But I think eventually kind of using her, her like wit and savvy is able to become uh, a really effective soldier. And then they have... And you're out of time. All right. Okay. We're, we're halfway there. Yeah. Halfway there, up there. Yeah. She learns that she learns to train in the, in the army. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole army learns to do it right. Because um, they weren't all off on the best footing either. Um, so anyways, they're off to war. 
There's a big mountain showdown between the Huns and this army. Um, Mulan, well, Mushu really <laughs> gives their entire position away. Um, <laughs> and so they all come, Huns come and get them. Um, and Mulan launches a firework, a cannon <clears throat> of. Uh, I don't know if that's a can. Counts as a cannon. It's like a firework. It's like a mortar. It's a, fire it's like a mortar. Mortar, yeah. 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 Um, it's a mortar. Launches that avalanche, kills them all, except for uh, six, as we learned. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, other, um, yeah. So after that, there's only a couple Huns left. Um, they're all heading back to Forbidden. They're they're going to celebrate in the Forbidden City, right? Yeah. Anyways, Mulan gets injured. She gets slashed, and they find out through the course of you know, Doctor has to bandage her up. Uh, they learn she's a woman. They kick her out of the army. Um, she's got to walk home uh, on her own. <laughs> and um, and so then the rest of the army goes off, and uh, she discovers that there's still Huns out there. So she goes she goes anyways and um, ends up being this big kind of final confrontation with, um, what's his name, Shan Yu? Shan Yu, yeah. Shan Yu, yeah, um, in the Forbidden City, uh, and she saves the day yet again. And um, the emperor is like, no, I don't like women. You did do us a solid. <laughs> and uh, the movie kind of wraps up from there. <laughs> and that's See, where... It's so uplifting, really. I mean, I mean that's his words. Um, and so uh, that, that's, kind of, that's pretty much it. There's not, there's not a ton of plot points in this movie, as I discovered, because I forgot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that second half um, kind of just gets after it. Anyways, that's the, yeah. that's the movie. That's Mulan, y'all. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Cody will get your opening statements while you're here defending Mulan. And so, everybody, we will be right back. Hey, listen up, all you filmmakers out there. If you have a film that you're ready to share with the world, consider submitting it to the 14th Annual National Film Festival for Talented Youth, or NIFTY. Submissions are open now, so send in your film today. Go to nfty.org slash submit. back everyone <laughs> <laughs> to the Mulan episode uh, right before the break Cody made it up to Mulan being made a man out of and no further yeah um, and so let's get your opening statements uh, why are you here defending Mulan sure yeah let's see um, <clears throat> I think it's I mean it's obviously a part of the Disney Renaissance and it, it's an incredibly strong and like well-made uh, animated film I think both like the way the action in the animation, the the way the animation is done in the action scenes is I think like really compelling. And I was kind of surprised at like how exciting the action scenes were. Um, and also I, I like the story of this person trying, both trying to find their place in the world and also like simultaneously wanting to save their dad from being you know, killed in a war they don't think that their dad can really fight in. Um, and I think it's a lot of, it's like a fun adventure film too, particularly in the back half of it. I was like, I was pretty engaged with just a lot of the kind of banter and back and forth that was happening while the action was going down. Okay. Um, I think a uh, place we could probably start is the, uh, is the characters of the movie. Because that's kind of what we're really, the focus of the movie is, rather than the plot necessarily. So characters, what do we think? Mulan first? Mushu uh, first. Uh, we'll we'll start with Mulan, main character. Uh, I think that as far as like main, you know, main main characters go, she feels a little like undercooked as far as like her 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 character arc. Like she, she like it's set up at the beginning, like she doesn't really fit into society, but she really doesn't have like any 
you know, character flaws that I could really latch onto. Like, obviously, she has that struggle in which, like, she doesn't really fit in, but she, like, really doesn't struggle with any, like, having to overcome anything besides, like, these external obstacles. And, like, you know, there's just this, I, uh, like, there's an idea that, like, good screenwriting is about, like, uh, a conflict between, like, what the character wants mm -hmm. and, like, what they actually need. And I really didn't feel that with her. It's like she she wants to, you know, save her dad and prove herself, and she pretty much just, like, does that. She doesn't really have to undergo any major changes to solve her problems. She really doesn't grow that much as a character. It's more just that she, you know, solves a problem and, like, earns the love and adoration of everybody. Yeah. I, I also think, you know, we get quite a bit of setup for this movie. We talked in the movie in a minute about how, like so much of the action just kind of happens at the end. And so I think if we're going to have that set up, you know, we have kind of the whole matchmaker plot line and that's how we're supposed to learn that Mulan is kind of an odd duck in mm. this society. But it's like, we don't really get any understanding of why it seems like her father's this like really respected soldier and like her parents are still together, which by the way, hadn't happened in a Disney movie since Sleeping Beauty until Mulan. Wow. So that's like huh. a 40 year swing of <laughs> a single parent Disney characters. Wow. Um, and so I think, you know, it's hard for us to understand like what adversity have you faced that has led to you like being this different person or how were you raised that led you to be this kind of odd person and then it's just kind of instantly solved by her being like well okay I guess I'm not gonna marry someone I'm gonna pose as a man instead and and so that whole intro sequence it's like what was that even for we just launched into something completely different and I don't feel like I learned that much more about her character as a result she's good at writing Hey, it's yeah. hard. Have you ever been, have you ever been no, yeah. it's hard as shit. She did it on her arm. Yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> um, let's see. So I think in terms of like her character flaw that we were talking about, I guess to me what I saw is her butting up against maybe the more like subservient sort of trends in that culture at the time. Um, and there's kind of that whole, I think, song about it at the start. And I don't know. So I, I like that. I thought that was an interesting thing to examine that she's not – She's maybe not good at, you know, like pouring the tea the way that you're supposed to and is a little bit more of like a not not a rebel because I don't think it's intentional. It's just like her her whole kind of essence and physicality doesn't lend itself well to that. And I think she society or sort of views her as like this maybe I don't know if it's like woman who doesn't know her place or something like that. I don't know if that's like too strong, but it, it sort of seems like that's in, in within the context of the film what like. The characters in the film are saying um so no, i thought that was a, an interesting flaw to have and the, and to give her something to to draw strength from ultimately in the film right is like not falling into those sort of subservient traits i think my issue with that is that like all of those are external conflicts and there really mm -hmm. isn't like anything within like herself that she has to face like i think a really good counter example to this movie is like aladdin where he does have this external conflict with you know, Jafar and the law of Agrabah, but, like, really what the movie is about is him, like, you know, learning that he doesn't need to, like, inhabit the persona of, like, this awesome rich prince and that he can be, like, loved as himself, and he struggles with that, and that he, you know, keeps the facade of Prince Ali up up until the point where, you know, like, it is inconveniently revealed. And I, I think, like, with, you know, Mulan, they, they kind of try to do that again with Mulan's character where, like, 
you know, she is in this disguise throughout the whole movie, and she, like, in you know, inhabits this fake role, but, like, they also establish that if she, you know, reveals her true identity, she will literally be killed, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, definitely disincentivizes her to do that, and I think that, you know, at the end when she, you know, rushes to the third act to, like, solve the problem, like, it doesn't happen because she, you know, had to overcome something. She ha it, it happens because she just, like, happened to look down and see that, like, these bad guys who wanted to assassinate the Emperor were still alive, and that was just, like, a problem that needed to be solved by necessity. I, I wanted just more internal conflict from her. I think we can't talk about characters in this movie also without talking about Mushu, Ooh, because uh, Mushu is is such a like disney sidekick and in this movie i think it's a detriment because he doesn't really fit in to like the legend of the movie to the to the folk tale of it like there is a an ancestral guide in most versions of mulan but like the fact that he's this kind of like I don't even know what what word I'm looking for. Like comic relief. Yeah, and and the you know the constant like pop culture references that he makes. He's like he doesn't have anything even remotely Chinese about him. Like there's mm. <laughs> and obviously like not voiced by a Chinese person either. <laughs> but it it just it's so jarring in this movie and and from the moment he arrives it's clear that he is kind of meant to to pull focus and that's what he does he takes me out of what's going on with Mulan and and I am more interested in that story than I am in Mushu hijinks that's fair <clears throat> I want to say two things first uh, I want to give credit to Ian for summing up why I love Aladdin and his internal struggle <laughs> just perfectly <laughs> um, you, you know that's my sweet spot so well done there uh, but I so I think I kind of agree and disagree on Mushu in that I think you're right that at times he can be overused um, but when I think he's deployed effectively and it does happen in this film is I think in the midst of like action scenes is when this film frankly is firing on all cylinders but also I think when it uses Mushu the best he's good at being in these like small doses where he'll kind of say something I think when they're sliding over the avalanche and he like picks up um, the, you know the the lucky cricket or something and he just kind of mutters he's like man, you are lucky. And they keep going along with the scene. I think for me, things like that added to the film rather than taking away from it. Um, but that said, I'll concede a little bit that some of the time when we focus on him for really extended periods of time can maybe grind the film a bit to a halt. I think that Mushu is just kind of a representation of the larger problem with this film, which is that it is telling this, you know, centuries old folktale from China that has been told you know in in Chinese media in a hundred different ways and you know when when you Americanize it the way that this movie did of course you have to have the Eddie Murphy sidekick you know mm -hmm. of course you have to have the the love interest and and a lot of it just pulls away from what the central message of the original folktale is and when this was released in China, it was super unsuccessful. Um, people were like pretty pissed at the depiction of, you know, we talked about um, like the subservient culture, but right. that first song is about honor culture. And honor culture is something that applies to men and women in China. Mm -hmm. And it's like a very important part of their cultural background. And then to just like 
kind of say like, well, that's the same thing as misogyny mm. is really <clears throat> problematic. And mm. I think that um, that's kind of where where I see Musha as a problem because to me he kind of just like puts a period on the end of that sentence that like this is not from Chinese people, it's not for Chinese people. And um, they all call it like the foreign Mulan. Like they're they're mm. not fans. <laughs> and I think a, a big reason we're getting this remake is because Disney recognized that they kind of fucked it up and they need to do better. I think Mushu as a character for me represents like just this, like it's this very cynical idea that the the filmmakers or at least you know the top Disney executives like didn't trust that kids would be able to like hold their attention for this you know this this the real story of this movie essentially and that they needed like Mm -hmm. a you know wisecracking dragon making like you know really like awkward jarring pop culture references to like keep them entertained throughout the movie Mm -hmm. and i think that just every every time he makes like a reference to corn chips or has like you know bacon and eggs in the porridge like it really just like you know like robin williams as the genie works because like you know one it's like robin williams playing robin williams playing the genie and like you know him you know doing all of these you know like impressions of these like celebrities you know that's what you expect robin williams to do eddie murphy kind of trying to do that same thing where like he breaks the fourth wall and he makes these references to like you know future pop culture stuff it really just feels like they're trying to do that again without really like like they're, they're trying to do it again because it was like successful yeah. in the marketing. Well, you said and this movie is firing on all cylinder on all cylinders in the action sequences, and I would agree with that. And I think yeah, this th- these like moments of comedy. It's not just Mushu. There's like a couple really kind of jarring moments of comedy in this movie. Like one of the ones that really sticks out to me is when um, Sean Yu's horrifying falcon sidekick mm-hmm. gets turned into like a chicken with its feathers off. Yeah, and, like, makes a chicken noise and not a falcon noise, and I'm just like. Oh my god, this is a really intense thing is happening right now and I don't have time for this in my brain. Like I don't I don't care about it. Or her having I, like a dog and like giving it a bone and she's like, Go oh, chase the bone, go oh, chase the bone and it like yeah. does that thing that like, you know, dog owners do, but probably weren't a thing in China. Yeah, hmm. so it's just I, I don't know. I, I wanted it to be I think it is a really intense movie, but then there's these weird tonal shifts that take me out of that intensity and I kinda wanted it to be either like a cheesy Disney movie or a really intense Disney movie, and it was, like, something in the middle. So I guess I'd say two things. One, I think, I guess for me, why I like is that it's kind of both. It's not not a dark uh, film that you're going to come away from, you know, feeling, like, super dour. But I think it's exciting and has stakes and is intense, but it's also fun. And for me, it was, like, that overriding sense of fun was really what I took away from this last rewatch. But I want to talk about Mushu again for a second because... Because, again, I, I understand the criticisms of him, but I also think story-wise we're not crediting enough that there's a little bit of a parallel between him and Mulan. Like, both of them are are in a place where they're not supposed to be, right? That, like, Mulan is taking the place of her dad and trying to pass off as a man, and Mushu is was not the one who was supposed to aid Mulan, right? He accidentally breaks the statue and kind of has to go himself uh, hoping that he can fix it. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I like from a story perspective and they kind of bring it to a head in the pep talk he gives her. I like that there are two people who are 
who are not meant to have the roles that they have right now and have to make it work somehow mm-hmm. and and maybe like make themselves a little bit like both of themselves combined is like greater than each of them separately if that makes sense yeah. i can see that point i think you know kind of back to the to the idea of the tone of this movie i think that i I just don't understand, like, is this a war movie or is it, like, a buddy comedy? Because there are some, like, really horrifying moments in this movie. I think about a totally unnecessary scene that did not need to be there but is just there to, like, scare children is when they have the... Is it the doll? No, they send the the messengers. Oh, yeah, and he says, how many does it take? How many does it take to deliver a message? And the guy cues up his arrow and says, one. The clear indication that he's going to murder the other one. And it's like, the messenger scene could have even been there without that one moment, and it would have been like... 300% 300% less horrifying. I, I remember being a little kid being like, damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, isn't that moment a really effective way to play up this it, villain? I think it is, but then when we like cut to, you know, Mushu with the bacon and eggs, like one second later, it's just so jarring to me. And I I don't know, I'm I'm excited for, for the remake because it's going to be PG-13, there's no Mushu. Like, this is going to be... I think a better movie. Hmm. And I think it all kind of boils down to like having the right tone for the right moment. Like I think in The Lion King, having Timon and Pumbaa there as like the comic foils works like fucking perfectly in that scene Mm because you just watch like Mufasa die. And like it's essentially like you're you're like in a hot desert and you're getting like splashed with cold water. Like it feels like such a relief to feel that. I feel like in this movie, like that that same care of like pacing out the tone shifts really wasn't taken. It was just like Here's our scary scene. And now we're going to be funny. Ha, 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 laugh, kids. But the guy just got beheaded. I don't care. Laugh. <laughs> but I guess, I, but I'm trying to differentiate how it's different going from Mufasa's death to pretty quickly introducing Timon and Pumbaa to from a scene, you know, where they say, how many messengers do we need? One. And then go into some like Mushu hijinks. Isn't that a pretty similar cadence of like, dark stakes and then kind of back to our fun main characters i think it's just more jarring in like the like the the abrupt way that it happens like mm. in the lion king we have like that that transition that to kind of like mm. ease yeah. us out of that mufasa's death yeah. directly impacts you know how simba ends up meeting those characters whereas the messengers don't really directly impact the next scene on the mountain and right. so yeah it's th- there were kind of a lot of weird asides with like the Huns that I I wanted to like, but I think it just kind of took me away from what was going on with Mulan, which I think is supposed to be what I'm following. But I I think I think if we had had more time with Mulan, some of our other criticisms might not have been so strong. That's fair. And I it is a bit of a side story for a bit. Um, the Shen Yu, is that the mm-hmm. name of the villain? Because he doesn't end up interacting with our main characters until pretty late in the film. But I think that's actually one of my favorite elements is that the film takes this really interesting path where it like implies these pretty horrific acts of violence, but it rarely shows them outright. And it makes it like almost more unsettling for me that, um, you know, you kind of have like the prologue where um, where he, he just says, you know, good. And you kind of get a sense of like this is a, a villain who's up for a challenge. And then you have the how many people does it take to deliver a message. Um, and then you have them finding the the doll of assumably somebody mm-hmm. at the 
um, at the village and then like the aftermath of a massacre. So it's almost like we're always either right before or right after some really big level of violence. And I, I guess I like that, that it's able to kind of have that, but not have it be totally gory and maybe break the tone of like a fun adventure film. Well, if you want to talk about breaking the tone, I think it's important to note that this is a musical for exactly half of the movie. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> once you get to that moment with the doll, they're literally mid-sentence in a song, and they're stopped <laughs> short by the sight of this decimated village, and then the tone completely shifts, and they never sing again. And that's like... What is is it a musical? I don't know. I almost like that that the doll <laughs> the doll just stops them from singing altogether for the rest of they're the too film. Sad. The music is done. Yeah, they're like the horrors of war. Have we come don't to want us. a girl yeah. anymore. We just want to go home. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's fair. Although I think that's a broader criticism for most Disney films, like we were kind of talking about before the mics came on. Yeah. Um, so I don't I I don't know. There's a part of me that's like that. I think that's applicable to so many Disney films that I'm not sure if I have to defend it too much for Mulan because I think I think most Disney films are guilty of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the songs are pretty front-loaded, but I, I don't know. I guess it kind of worked for me. I think the songs are, in, in most Disney films, are kind of pertinent to like the characters and their motivations. And then as we get into the plot and its resolution, there's a little bit less to sing about. It'd be maybe harder to work in a song to the final fight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Although, granted, if they had, that'd, that'd be kind of cool. It'd like, be really cool. You know, go for it. I, I think mean, one complaint that I have about the songs is that there's like in the best Disney movies, like the songs really like further the character development, and that yeah, sure. like development is reflected, you know, in the rest of the film. And here, there's like almost kind of like, like as great as I'll Make a Man Out of You is, it almost seems to like kind of take place in a different dimension than like the rest of the screenplay, because like. You know, the the montage and the song show them gradually becoming, like, this, like, awesome, united, badass, like, super expert fighting force. And Mm -hmm. then just a couple scenes later, like, you know, Shang is in danger of being demoted, even though he supposedly, you know, trained, like, this awesome army. And they they don't even, like, get to put that all that training that they did in that montage to use. Like, it's never reflected again in the film that they're, like, this elite, united fighting force. Okay, wait, I want to push back on that pretty specifically because... Because it's Mulan's kind of, um, it's her climbing technique that mm. they use later to go and save the emperor, right? Mm. That they like, they grab the sashes and like they do a reprise of the song. So I, I would say that specifically in the montage, at least, we take moves that they learn and perfect in that montage mm. and we use it in the final battle. Okay. Look, I'm not going to roast I'll Make a Man Out of You. No. Because I think it's, it's a perfect it's, song. It's, it's unroastable. <laughs> it's amazing song. Yeah. But I do think... I do think people talk about the music of this movie as a reason why it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. And so I do think it's kind of an important note that it kind of cuts out partway through the movie. But also, I think that the other three songs that we get, Reflection, which is good, but again, doesn't really further the plot. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, we just saw we just saw you go through this and now you're singing it to us. And then the honor song I already mentioned is a little problematic to me. Mm. And then a girl worth fighting for is just kind of like a cheesy, like, I guess it's kind of cute, but I think it's mostly there for that tone shift. And so again, it doesn't really further the plot. Yeah. And And I I, I think that the other songs besides like reflection and I'll make a man out of you are pretty forgettable. Like I, I really have a hard time, like kind of summoning them up out of my mind. 
Aren't there only like four songs? There's four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the 98 Degrees outro. I was gonna say yeah, 98 Degrees was (laughs) in the credits. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of feeling problematic, like that just seals it for me. It's like you know we we begin with like this very with like you know this. Uh, very Chinese sounding music and then like this, you know, calligraphy stroke and we end with freaking like 98 degrees. It could not have been that hard to find a Chinese pop group to sing your outro song. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't buy that for a second. And it, it's so jarring in that scene because it's like the ancestors coming out of their, in their like ghostly form mm-hmm. and they're all partying together yeah. and it's 98 degrees. Yeah. That's, yeah. Some, that's some classic 90s Disney Yeah. Shit. That is just <laughs> Disney fuckery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like they they wanted to make this really global movie, but they didn't actually do the things that would make it feel like a global product. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, So we talked about, we kind of touched on it a little bit, just like about plot and pacing and structure. Um, But I think, you know, we talked briefly about um, like third act and like how I think you mentioned it was like felt a little rushed. Um, So I just wonder if we could talk about like plot and pacing a little bit. Yeah. About that. Yeah, I think specifically in the third act, you know, the, it's it's a pretty intense, like, second act. I think the first act is a little laggy. And then the second act is really intense. You know, you get from I'll Make a Man Out of You to the avalanche to yeah. them discovering Mulan and then her realizing that she needs to go help because they don't know that these people are still alive mm-hmm. and intend to kill the emperor just for shits and giggles because they don't have the army to take over anymore. And so she knows she has to go. And then that entire scene in the Forbidden City, it moves really quickly and and it kind of relies on the same, like, you know, firework weapon, I guess yeah. is the best way to, to put it. Like, it's, it's a really cheesy way to dispatch Sean Yu, like one of the most evil villains in all of Disney. Um, with the same thing that you already killed his whole army with in a slightly different version. And I think, I do think it's cool that they all kind of band together. I think it's really cool that he um, recognizes that she's a woman and doesn't really seem to care. Like once the, once Sean Yu realizes that she's the one who launched the, the um, avalanche grenade, as I'll put it, Mm -hmm. um, he's just kind of like, Oh damn, now I'm going to kill you instead of this guy. And I thought that was kind of cool. But it just it moves so quickly that you don't even have time to like rest on what that means or rest on what it means that the emperor tries to offer her a position and she's like, no, I'm gonna go home. And like it, and it goes and especially when she gets home, it moves way too quickly. Yeah, I think it super bothers me like the like their reaction to the, you know the revelation that she's a woman. Like you know, it it ticks that screenwriting box of the you know like the the lowest point before you know the redemption right. mm-hmm. um but i really feel like their reaction like doesn't make or it, it, it at least could have been explained okay, okay so here's, here's what bothers me about it so she just like destroys the entire hun army like mm-hmm. she she kills two thousand people and like literally saves china with like one firework you know Zhang has that moment of like, I owe you my life. You're for I'm forever in your debt. And then yeah, like, also she's puts a woman. Herself in danger yeah. to save him yeah. when she could have just let him go over the mountain. Yeah, and then all of a sudden <laughs> it's just like, oh, you're a woman. Like, how dare you? I can't trust you ever again. 
And then, you know, she tries to, you know, she, she goes back and tries to make the case that, like, the Huns are still alive. And then, like, Shang just doesn't believe her and goes through that whole beat of, like, I can't trust you. Why should I trust you? It's like, dude, she, she put herself in danger. She saved your life. She saved China. Like, listen to her. At least, like, give what she's well, saying she some consideration. she explained that it was for her father. Like, you have all the context. Yeah. Like, there's, you have it. <laughs> there, there's really, like, nothing about her character that suggests that she could be doing this for, like, any other reason than, like, selfless motives. Yeah, I guess I <clears throat> I understand what you're saying. I took at face value, and I don't know how historically accurate it is or not, but I, I took at face value that it was a big enough, it was an executable offense for a woman to pose as a man in the army. And so I guess that I, I understood their reaction on that level. Um, again, I'm not sure how historically accurate that is, uh, but it seems like, the crux of the film, we're either buying into this concept or not, right? Uh, like, even at the beginning, her dad is going to go get her, and I think the mom or somebody stops him, and he's like, if you go and reveal her now that she's in this, she'll definitely be dead. So I guess I feel like we're either we're either into what the film is selling or we're not. And for me, I was I was able and willing to jump on the journey and go, okay, yeah. And then I'll maybe add that I think there's some nuance. Like, I, I get what you're saying that when she when she gets to uh, like the parade and is trying to talk to the captain, <clears throat> that he's maybe a little more dismissive. But I really liked that the the three or four friends that she made seem really conflicted. And mm. you know, they're they're like, we understand that a law has been broken here, but they look genuinely scared for the well being of their friend. And I thought that was a really cool place to put them in. Mm-hmm. We've about reached the time to unmask everybody. Or mm-hmm. take off our face paint. Mm-hmm. Sure. If, like, if you must. Pull half of your face with yes. your sleeve. <laughs> I was always um, impressed by that shot. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about how we really feel. Cody? Oh, yeah. Course. Yeah, uh, I like this film a lot. Um, I think maybe the truest criticism that I would agree with is, like, the plot is a little bare bones. Like, it, it breezes by pretty quick. But again, especially in the back half, I... Uh, I just I really enjoyed the action adventure vibe of it. I think there's a lot of really fun moments. There's I think when like the short stocky guy is trying to save Mulan. Tao. Yeah. So and like I think and the that's the big guy. Yeah, and like the rope, you know, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't grab it, and then but like Tao, Mulan shoots it back to him, and he's in the middle of crying. He's like, "They fell through my hands," and <laughs> comes back, and it like yanks him out. <laughs> There's just beats like that that I knew that I really liked the songs in the film, but I had forgotten how well executed the action was. Uh, so that was a pleasant surprise on this rewatch. Yeah, Ian. Uh, I think like if I were to make a tiered list of you know the '90s Disney Renaissance movies, I'd put this at about the I'd put this at the B tier. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a good movie with a couple of moments that like really really hit the mark. Um, yeah, like I, I really love the action. I really love like that abrupt shift like at the end of Girl We're Fighting For. Um, you know, two out of the four songs are like absolute masterpieces. <laughs> Um, the animation is great. Like the art is great. It looks like the background art, especially, looks like like if if the script doesn't feel super authentic, at least you know the level of detail in the background art mm-hmm. feels like they really did their research and they really put the time into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that there there it has like a tone problem. I think the character of Mushu is pretty grating. Um, but I would say that like the the flaws don't keep me from enjoying it. Like yeah. I, it's it's not one like a Disney movie that like I'll readily seek out, but I never have a bad time when I watch mm-hmm. it. Yeah, sure, Casey. Um, yeah, this was one of my favorites as um, 
a like probably preteen era mm. um and I, I've seen it many, many times, um, but I hadn't seen it in quite a while. And I, I really enjoyed it. I think that my, you know, woke filter definitely broke <laughs> oh, yeah. a little bit of it because uh-huh. I had to do research for yeah. this podcast. And I knew that probably looking into the cultural aspect of it was a good start. And I did not like what I learned. <laughs> oh, um, no. So that bummed me out a little bit. But I think just based on how it made me feel as a as a kid and a woman specifically um i i'm not gonna let like what i know now take that away from me and um yeah. I, this was a really important movie to me as like a, a preteen girl like mm. yeah i'm gonna find my own power and like fuck the patriarchy so yeah from, from like my research i think like a lot of the asian american takes that i read about this movie kind of have that same feeling of like you know yes like it is problematic in the way that it you know, either like simplifies or misrepresents you know, Chinese culture, but it is also great that it was represented, even if pro- problematically, yeah. when in a time when that really was considered a risky thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also great that, like, we have this movie about a woman who, you know, like, is a lot more of an active character than female Disney characters at that time usually were, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, bucks the patriarchy, and that's, like, what the movie's about. So, yeah. yeah, I think, like, you know, it can be problematic, but it can also be, like, you know, awesome and risk-taking in a way yeah Yeah. and i'm all in on the remake i think of all the disney remakes this one has justified its existence the most by just being so different yeah like no mushu different type of love interest from what i hear yeah um no singing like pg-13 let's do it i'm ready Katie? Um, I like this movie. I haven't watched it in a couple years, to be honest, uh, but it was also one of my favorites growing up. Like, watched it so many times in school a lot, too. That was like a go-to school watching (laughs) movie. Um, Yeah, I'm a fan. I love the music. It was really cool being a kid, like being a little girl and seeing a quote-unquote Disney princess, even though she's not a princess, um, kicking ass and like Mm. wearing pants. Hmm. Which I found out, sh- her and Jasmine are the only two like Disney heroines that wear, wear pants, pants wow. which is mind blowing to me. Penelope. Um, yes, I have one more heroine? one more tiny Leia fact to pants. share that I. So we were talking about we, you guys were drawing all these parallels to Aladdin, <laughs> which is very interesting because in the scene, uh, some footage of the Forbidden City is recycled oh, yeah. from oh, the Whole New whole World, world musical <laughs> number. Whoa, yeah. I didn't know that. That's, there you go. Awesome. That's where they watch wow. the fireworks in A Whole New World. Um, yeah, so it China. seems like uh, maybe they were <laughs> using a lot of things from Aladdin. <laughs> wow. That's funny. But yeah. So uh, one time at a talent show in high school, uh, Kwesi and I were in a band that played I'll Make a Man Out of yes! Oh, nice. Um, That's cool. Is there a video recording? There's not a video. There's a photo. I can find a photo. Um, I'll do that during the next I'm pretty play. sure I've seen at least one of you do this at karaoke, though. So. It, was, it was probably it was me. Probably yeah, 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 yeah. Probably no. yeah. I probably joined in. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very yeah. well, you might have. Usually, if like he's doing a Disney song, I'm there, too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, li- I like the movie. I think on rewatch, it's a little more of like a popcorn movie. Yeah. Not yeah. a really chewy one. Yeah. But it's still it's still fun. It's still f- great um, and good. Uh, yeah, all the cultural stuff. Um, the more we were talking about it, I went and looked up Michael Eisner's tenure, and this is smack dab in the middle of it, so I'm sure that has something to do with that. <laughs> yeah, from, from what um, I read, like... he was pushing for big theme park expansions and shit, so I'm sure yeah. this was all... Uh, 
trying to lure uh, the Chinese market into letting them build yeah. do a theme park. Mm-hmm. From from what I read, like he like ins- like nobody wanted Cricky in the movie. Like none of the animators wanted it, none of the directors wanted it. But like Michael Eisner and like somebody I need else. A bug. Like, yeah, they insisted on it. They, they needed just one more cute animal sidekick. Jesus oh, interesting. Yeah. But it's ironic because he oh. is the only like he's the only like cute animal sidekick that's been carried over to the remake. Oh, wow! Yeah, wow. they are good. Stuck luck. around, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that being said, I, I, it's it's good. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Um, I am also very excited about the remake. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah, I'm mostly excited because it sounds like they're getting closer to what the actual mm-hmm. le- legend myth. Or yeah. what is it? Is it a story? I don't it's like a folk, it's a folk tale. tale. Okay, folk yeah. tale. Yeah. Um, actually is. Especially with like the witch lady. And oh, stuff. yeah. She yeah. looks cool. In the is show. she in the folk tale? I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's, there's different iterations because it's yeah. been around forever. Gotcha. But um, there are versions with the witch that cool. it seems like that's a thing people like. Because yeah. <laughs> the witch is basically the hawk, right? Is that yeah. she turns into a hawk yeah. in this yeah. new version? Yeah. So um, I don't know. I'm hyped. Uh, we'll, see how, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. This weekend, dun, everybody. Dun, dun. Um, but uh, yeah, that'll uh, that'll about do it for this episode of Twenty Four Flames Per Second, y'all. Thank you for for listening, everybody. Thanks for sticking around. And if you want to stick around even longer, we're gonna keep talking on our extended play post show. That's just for our Patreon subscribers. So if you want access to that and all the other ones and all the drink alongs and all the hot takes, and uh, there's like one other thing that doesn't fall in any of those buckets, it's on our Patreon. Uh, you can go patreon.com slash 24 flames pod and uh, help support our show and get a bunch of extra good stuff all at the same time for uh, a pretty uh, pretty good price at this point there's a big backlog of uh, horse shit you can go get so uh, go and uh, go and check it out and uh, if you've got thoughts about Mulan you want to let us know email us at 24 flames pod at gmail.com where you can find us and slide into our DMs on social media at 24 flames pod and wherever you listen to podcasts go and subscribe Leave a rating. Give us a review so we can make the show better. So we can get more five-star ratings. This is positive feedback loop of, of us becoming the best podcast on the internet. And we'll do it. Don't you think we won't. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and uh, if you subscribe, you'll be back for next week's episode, which is three billboards outside Ebbing, Ooh. Missouri, uh, to celebrate yeah, tangentially promising young woman coming out about about fatality kind of woman taking her shit into her own hands vibes um and so yeah come back for that everybody uh this episode of 24 flames per second was produced and hosted by me robert spiewak co-hosted by katie bennett on the defense this week was cody olson the roasters were casey romany and coleman our show music is composed by rob joins and produced and performed by rob joins and will paulson and our network, Party Fish Media, is produced by me, Quasi Phillips, and Will Paulson. Everybody, we'll catch you off next week's episode. So uh, come back and come back now, you hear? We'll be in Missouri. <laughs> uh, everybody, so uh, catch you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Fish me. Yeah.
Partyfish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.